Welcome to the ICU podcast. I'm your host, Callie, a registered dietitian living with interstitial cystitis. Each week, I'll be diving into hot topics in the IC world, giving others a platform to share their story, and I may even reveal some of my favorite nutrition tips. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now, let's get into the episode. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I have Dr. Liliana with me. I don't want to botch your last name, so why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Liliana Sinato, and now Sinato Minardo. I've just recently been married, so um, it's it's quite long. This is why online I'm just Dr. Liliana. It's <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> a mouthful for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So you are a pelvic floor physical therapist. Yes, absolutely. So what does your, um, practice look like? Like how are you different from other pelvic floor PTs? Yeah. So I'm primarily, um, a DPT doctor of physical therapy. Um, so all PTs that have the D in front just means we have a clinical doctorate. So, um, for us, it just means that we can, um, you know, assess a little more deeply, we can um, understand medication diagnoses and interact in in more specific ways with other providers. Um, But for me, I am also very tailored towards the holistic end of things. So I'm also a doula, also a massage therapist, um, and an embodiment coach. So I tend to bring all aspects of healing in when I have a, a pelvic floor client or patient come in. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So how do you get educated in that? Yeah, so a, a ton of different ways. It's really interesting. So with something like, you know, a, a DPT degree, you have to go to graduate school because it's regulated. There's, you know, even with massage, I have to take a board exam and, and you know, all of this stuff. But with things like um, becoming a doula or becoming an embodiment coach, um, these things aren't regulated uh, nationally or even by state. So a lot of times it kind of comes down to what every individual wants to do for their own education and what they feel is ethically aligned. So for me, I have a ton of education in understanding, you know, female anatomy, anatomy in general, but specifically female anatomy, physiology. So when it came to um, saying I wanted to be a doula, I didn't get any additional education. I just did a lot of self-study, a lot of um, research, a lot of reading. Um, And then took the skills I had as a, you know, with my continuing ed, even as a pelvic floor PT and brought that in um, for my doula work. And the same thing for coaching, you know, coaching is a relatively kind of like new up and coming industry. Uh, And I, I, I don't know how much you've heard of coaching or your audience, but you know, there, you can get a coach for really anything. And it's similar to like a sports coach in the sense that, you know, you don't have to be a professional in a field to coach someone um, in something that, you know, so I'm an embodiment coach, which for me just kind of means I teach people how to learn the language of their body and how to sort of like create the reality that they want with their life via the lens of, you know, learning your body and learning what's true for you and expressing authentically. So I don't have any specific, um, let's say, certification in that either, but I've been coached many, many times. Um, I do a a ton of self-study and yeah, there's a lot of... um, I'm very into it, like intuition driven. So uh, I have my my big degrees, my a few really big certifications, and then a, a lot of other um, experience and self study and intuitive knowledge. 
That's awesome. That makes you yeah. really unique, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting that you said what you said about coaching, because I am a registered dietitian in the state of Pennsylvania, but according to the laws, I sh technically shouldn't be working with people outside of my state, yeah. but that's only if I'm practicing what we call medical nutrition therapy, which right. is not what I, I do currently. So I have to call myself a nutrition coach or an IC nutrition coach. And, yeah. you know, while that kind of irks me inside it, in the end, if it helps me help people across the world, it's worth it, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's really interesting because I think when people ask like, oh, what are your certifications? Like, I know it comes from a good place. And, and really, I think what they're asking is like, you know, can I trust your experience? Can I trust you in, in essence? Right. Um, but it's interesting because the certifications and the like the degree behind me, like this is only necessary because of state regulations. And on the flip side of that, you know, we have to understand that like things are regulated for a reason. And a lot of times it kind of comes back to control. So like what you're saying, like I totally resonate with and, and for PT specifically, like the reason I wanted to come out of that world and into the coaching world is for the same reason as you is like, you know, I can't do the emotional, spiritual, energetic work that I do, that I want to do. I can't do that in a traditional PT setting because that's not you know, covered in my state practice act. That's not covered by insurance. That's not, you know, it's not deemed necessary. It's not quote regulated, you know? So in order for me to practice what I think is necessary for healing, um, I need to pull myself out of that credentialing and out of that, um, you know, typical framework. And I, you know, and I'm sure you agree and a lot of practitioners would agree like there's nothing bad or, or wrong about that. And I, I think a lot of us need to needed to retrain that part of our, ourselves that was like, oh, I don't have a degree. I don't have a license. Like I must not be good enough. And it's just not true. Right. And for me, you know, stepping into the IC, you know, specialization, I felt at first, like, you know, am I an imposter? Not, I'm not an imposter because I've lived with IC, but, you know, I, I spoke with, um, a coach of mine. And she was like, you are an expert in this because you have had this your entire life. And in reality, I am one of two dietitians that I know of in North America that specialize only in IC. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, I'm so happy that I, I stepped into this role and realize how many people can be helped by this. And, mm -hmm. you know, back to being a registered dietitian, it's, it's something that all dietitians struggle with is the fact that people, the, the general population typically doesn't understand the difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist. So mm -hmm. I think this is important to actually go through really quick. Sure. So to become a dietitian, you have to go through you know, getting an undergraduate degree, they're actually requiring um, a graduate degree or a master's starting in 2024. And we also have to go through a year long internship that we have to pay for, and they don't mm -hmm. recommend working during. Um, so basically you're paying to be an intern and then you have to pass a board exam to become a registered dietitian. And board exam is not easy. Let me tell you that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> and whereas a nutritionist, anyone can go online, get a certification and call themselves a nutritionist. So it's important, you know, to be asking these questions and make sure that, you know, who you're working with knows what they're talking about. You know, there are some fantastic nutritionists out there, but I just like to caution people um, and educate them on that end. So yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it's, that's like, yeah, a hundred percent, because it depends on the, like what, what you're asking for, what you're trying to get. Right. Because it's like, like same thing with my PT degree, like it, there's a difference between a PT and a personal trainer. Right. Um, but, but exactly. I think it's, it's really cool that we can have both ends of the spectrum here of this one of like, yes, like I am a medical prof like professional. I have my degree I've put in the work, but also, you know, I have these other titles I hold that are very experience-based and experiential. And I, I love that both of us get to hold both of these worlds so closely because it's, and that I think really speaks to the beauty of like, kind of like this day and age, because it's like, you know, our ancestors, like the, the female healers of the past, like, you know, they did not get any traditional training and they were still able to have massive impact. And, you know, when the medical system sort of took over and sort of like the patriarchal medical system, there was definitely a push towards, you know, heavy, like education and, and over medicalization and, you know, all of that. Um, but I think it's really cool that, like I said, in, in this current state, we get to kind of live both of, yes, I was able to go to school. I can stand in a room of, of doctors and my voice is equally as powerful. And I also know that I have other you know, other knowledge and wisdom that is valuable, even though it's not, you know, mm -hmm. what someone else might deem, you know? Right, right. And I'm sure you and I could talk about this forever. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to dive into hormones. Yeah. Um, I feel like you have so much knowledge about mm -hmm. just the whole <laughs> topic of hormones. So I wanted to see if you could start at the beginning with the simple question of what are hormones? Yeah, beautiful. And I, I, I love this because I, I think if we want to go deep, we need to step back and get a ton of context first. And so hormones, um, I, I feel like they seem really scary. They seem like this like otherworldly thing, but hormones are actually really simple and really fundamental pieces and components of who we are. So the hormone hormones that circulate through our body, their purpose is to let the organs and organ systems of our body communicate with each other. So your body runs on what's called feedback. So in order to maintain homeostasis or balance, the body is constantly checking in with itself. And it's saying, okay, where am I at in this level? Where am I at with this level? And if it's too high, it sends a signal and tries to lower it. If it's too low, it sends a signal, tries to bring it back up. So it's constantly working to, to maintain balance. And the different parts of our bodies communicate via hormones. So it's a, a hormone is a chemical messenger that is sent out to communicate a specific message. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So it would be like if, if we were on a team and, and, you know, you're a team member, I'm a team member and I'm saying, Callie, I need more information. And you, you tell me information, information, information until I say, Callie, stop. And the, you know, what I use is my voice, but since our, the team members of our body, the organ parts of our body can't speak to each other, they send out hormones. And Got the cool thing to, to remember is that different hormones, our body is really um, 
like efficient, like some horm many hormones do um, multiple different things, although they represent or send information uh, for multiple categories. You know what I mean? So like estrogen isn't just, you know, one thing. Cortisol doesn't do just one thing. Like it may, it does multiple things and, and it's just, um, it's one of the efficiencies of our body. And it's, it's really cool to keep that in mind. Okay. So what are the most, I guess, important hormones for the IC community to know about? Yeah. So I think, so we have many, many, many hormones. Um, I tend to focus on the menstrual cycle hormones. Um, and I think for anyone looking to improve their overall pelvic health, their cycle health, um, looking at those core hormones is really important. Um, and then the only other ones that I would also say is like um, the stress hormones and um, the androgen hormones. So the, so the stress hormones are, you know, you know, clearly like the hormones that induce our stress response. Um, and then the androgens are the group of hormones that um, we typically associate them as like the male hormones, but we have them too. So testosterone's in that group. Mm -hmm. um, and that's important for us as well. But we can start with the, the female menstrual hormones. Um, and so the big players there are estrogen and progesterone. And those are the two key, and I, I try to be careful when I have this conversation because I can list off so many things and I don't want this to get cloudy or confusing, but um, there's four, there's four in the menstrual cycle. So the, the other two are FSH and LH, but we, we don't have to talk about those here and now. Um, but yeah, estrogen and progesterone are the, the two biggest ones. And if you chart your cycle and track your cycle, you can sort of notice um, trends that'll help you determine what's going on with your estrogen and your progesterone. Okay, cool. So how can people track their, or people, I guess, how can females track yeah. their menstrual cycle? Yeah. People who menstruate, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyone in a bleeding body. Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple different ways. Um, you know, obviously a lot of people have just like apps on their phone where you can track like today I'm bleeding today. I'm not. Um, and those apps try to predict ovulation. Um, however, I would caution people that those apps are only using, like very limited data. And so when it says like you're ovulating now or this is your fertile window, um, that is just a guess. Um, and so that is, I would not say like the preferred method of, of tracking. Um, now there's another method of, track, of tracking called the fertility awareness method. And so through the fertility awareness method, you use um, different biomarkers. And so a biomarker is just, um, so bio meaning life and marker meaning you know, kind of like a signal, different things going on in your body that you can track to get to gain more data. So one of these being um, a basal body temperature. So your basal body temperature is um, a just more specific reading of your body temperature. It has one more decimal place. Um, and you can take it for you should take it first thing every morning and you can track your temperature and you'll notice um, our temperatures change it changes throughout the month and so when your temperature rises and peaks so are your estrogen levels and usually after that peak of temperature is when you can expect ovulation so that's one example of a biomarker another one is um, cervical mucus um, you know the the stuff you'll find in your panties or when you wipe you'll feel you know different sensations um, and then there's even a couple more, but those are the two, two most basic common ones that I think everyone can, can be tracking in themselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the different phases of the menstrual cycle? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, okay, stop me if this gets like kind of, if I need to repeat anything. Because <laughs> okay. there's so many things, like so many layers to this. Okay. Um, so the different phases of the menstrual cycle. So we can start, so basically the way I describe it, a lot of people will say there's four phases. I say there's four energetic phases because when it comes to the physiology, like the actual science of what's going on in our body, there are two phases with two events. So the first phase being the follicular phase, um, in this phase, estrogen is rising. So the body is preparing um, an immature follicle to mature into an egg. So as the follicle is maturing and becoming a mature egg, um, it releases estrogen. So during that process, that is what causes estrogen to rise. The rise of estrogen causes, um, you know, the uterine lining to thicken, um, you know, and a, and a whole bunch of other of other things happen at that time, right? So the, the follicular phase starts with that. The egg is maturing, estrogen is rising. Then once estrogen has risen, um, the event that happens is ovulation. So energetically, ovulation is a phase. You know, we have a phase where we're um, high energy. So let, let's go back a step. Fol the follicular phase we would call our inner spring. So energetically, that's like your your energy is rising, kind of like spring, new, new life is budding, the flowers are opening up, the sun is coming out. So estrogen rises, energy rises, okay? Then that first event, ovulation, um, like I said, this is an event. This is one moment in time. Ovulation is the only, is the, the moment that the egg leaves the ovary and like it leaves, it pops out, that's ovulation. And now it begins its descent into the uterus. That phase energetically is our inner summer. That's when we're very high energy, high libido, um, like very social. And it makes sense, right? Like the body has just released the egg. So now is like peak time to get pregnant. So our body is like, yes, go, go socialize, go, you know, go have sex, go enjoy life, right? Go have sex. Yes, go have sex. <laughs> so exactly, exactly. So our body, our hormones are working for us to you know, accomplish the task of, of getting pregnant. So that was the first phase with the first event. After that, um, we enter into our luteal phase. And so our luteal phase is our inner fall. So after ovulation, we start kind of coming down, we start to become a little more inward, um, you know, energetically, that's what's going on. We're slowing down, more reflective. It's, it's a really nice time for reflection. Um, but physiologically what's happening is now progesterone is taking over. So estrogen has come down and now progesterone is rising. So progesterone is the hormone that is necessary to maintain a healthy pregnancy. So progesterone is the hormone that's saying to the body, like, okay, wait, everybody wait, pause. You know, we have, we have an egg in the uterus. It could get fertilized. It could get implanted. And if it does, I'm going to make sure it stays implanted. And so, um, yeah, so, so that, that's what's going on at, at that point. Progesterone is saying everything pause, um, and, and waiting to see if the egg gets fertilized. Then if, you know, your a certain number of days passes, whatever's normal for you, everyone's luteal phase is different. Um, once, 
so what's what's that what's happening is the corpus luteum is uh sort of breaking down once it's, and that's what creates the progesterone once the corpus luteum has broken down completely all hormone levels have now effectively dropped and we enter into our second event, which is the bleed. So your bleed, day one bleed is technically day one of your cycle. Um, so that is also kind of like a part of the follicular phase, but that, that's why I call it an event because it's part of a different phase. But so in this event, we're bleeding and um, yeah, so physiologically hormones are low and energetically, this is our inner winter. We have slowed down. Everything is kind of cold, not cold, but you know, it's stopped. There is, um, you know, hibernation is happening. Rest is happening. We're going inward. Um, and, and so, yeah, so there, that's that, that winter, that winter season, that energy of, of, of rest. Um, and like I said, physiologically, that means all the hormones have come, have come down to a quiet and the body starts, it, it prepares to start again with a fresh new follicle. And we're back in at the, the follicular phase inner spring ramping up. So that's like a 28 day cycle. Yeah. 28 to 35 is considered normal. And so, um, yeah, it's important to track and, and see kind of what your normal is. Um, cause everyone's a little bit different, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's the entirety of the cycle. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that I am picking up what you're putting down. Okay. It is a little bit. It's a know. lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but my question that I was thinking about that whole time is for the people with IC who notice they get a flare at the same time every month. Yeah. Like what is going on there? Yeah. So my and I, I did some research too to confirm this. Um, what I typically see and what my thought is, is that it's usually during that beginning, um, that follicular phase when estrogen is rising and it's the change in estrogen levels that can cause, um, you know, increased discomfort, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, so my understanding of IC is, you know, it's autoimmune and inflammatory. And so if we have too much estrogen, so it could go either way. So if you have too much estrogen during that time, um, it can cause the inflammatory response to be increased. So it can cause your, your body to be fighting itself essentially because of that autoimmune component even harder. So if you're noticing, um, you know, if you're noticing a, a spike in like, or a flare up essentially during that follicular follicular phase, it could be an indicator that estrogen is, is too high or that your estrogen is kind of working against you. And I say could with like a really hard underline because there are so many other components here. Um, another uh, hormone that I'd love to highlight in this moment is, is cortisol. And cortisol is another thing that can really impact um, the way anyone experiences um, any sort of, you know, pain condition. And so cortisol is our our stress hormone. And if you are having too much stress or too much of any sort of, um, you know, emotional or physical tax on the body, something that may have been marginally painful could be excessively painful. Mm -hmm. um, so, and this is why in my work, we do a lot of, you know, like we said, like holistic sort of treatment. So it's like, yes, what are your physical symptoms? But also as you're tracking your cycle, like what's going on emotionally? Like what, what are your emotional triggers? What emotional traumas do you have that may be influencing the way your body perceives your environment and therefore responds to your environment? Mm -hmm. So okay. that, that's one, that's one sort of like tale of this conversation. The other thing I wanted to bring up with estrogen, as far as IC goes, is that 
estrogen when it's too low um, can actually cause um, like excessive dryness. And for something like the bladder, if the bladder isn't um, isn't like well lubricated, it isn't well hydrated essentially, that can also cause a lot of discomfort. So, you know, kind of again, tracking your cycle to see, you know, is it when my estrogen is low? Is it when my estrogen is high? And am I kind of tipping on either extreme of too low or too high? Um, you know, okay, kind of extrapolating from there. So if it's determined that the issue is low estrogen. I know that there are doctors who can prescribe like an estrogen cream mm -hmm. um, or like suppositories. Do you know of any other potential treatments for that? Yeah. So, yeah. So using a medication to help is like, I, I, I try to be really careful about this conversation because medications are not bad. They're never bad. It just depends on what the intention is behind it. You know, are you trying to sort of like quick fix what's going on? Um, or are you interested in, in kind of taking a deeper approach? Because our hormones can be influenced and, and I'm sure you're a huge proponent, but of, of our diet, like with our diet, we can change the way we experience life through what we eat. Um, so when it comes to hormone health, one of my go-to things that I'll give everyone kind of right off the bat, if they're having any sort of like cycle, um, any irregularity is seed cycling. Um, and that's when it's uh, like a specific protocol of seeds to have at different points in your cycle. And it, it just supports your hormone function kind of overall. Ooh, can you yeah. get into that more? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, seed cycling is great and it's really easy. Um, so basically, like how I said, we have those two phases, follicular and luteal. In your follicular phase, so every all the days up until ovulation, you have a tablespoon of pumpkin seed and a tablespoon of flax seed ground up. So you get like one of those, um, like those coffee grinders where you put the coffee beans and it grinds mm -hmm. them up. So you put it in there and then you just you eat them. You do whatever you want. You put them on a salad. You can put them in a shake. Um, you can just eat them straight. I've never done that, but, but yeah, find different ways to intake them. And then from after ovulation to um, right up until day one, your bleed, you have um, uh, sunflower seeds and sesame seeds, again, ground up and ingested. And um, yeah, it, it's, they're really helpful because seeds are a really great source of, of fat and protein. And like I said, the, those specific ones before and those specific ones after are really supportive to you know, the estrogen cycle and then the progesterone cycle. Okay, so, mm -hmm. and you've seen you know, in your clients like that significantly helps them? Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's helped me tremendously and I have seen, I have seen improvement with people that may not always be the only thing. I don't want to like, right, right. Like, false hope with just seed cycling, right. but, um, but yeah, it, it can help. And it's, I think it's a really great starting point for number one, it, it helps you kind of like keep it's, it's one thing that can keep you in alignment with tracking your cycle, um, which is really helpful. And then even beyond that, um, a really letting yourself know and letting your body know of like, it is not very difficult to make these changes and small changes can have significant impact, you know? Right. So even if seed cycling only helps 10%, but it helps 10% and you've sort of cultivated this deeper relationship with tracking your cycle and taking in food, I think it's so, so helpful. And for some people it does help 50%, 70%, but you know, I, again, I, I, I try to be really careful about these mm -hmm. sort of, um, these answers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, is there anything besides the seed cycling that can help with that estrogen imbalance? Well, it depends. Um, again, it's, it's such a unique, um, it's such everyone, everyone's body is so unique. And so I think, I think taking the time to really assess exactly what it is and exactly how the body is responding, um, is kind of key in all of this because, you know, there are different food protocols, um, that someone can be on and that can help, you know, there is, there is, you know, protocols, right? Um, but beyond that, and again, where my work kind of comes in is sort of like the understanding of like, what's your relationship with your body? What's your relationship with this season? What's your relationship with the pain that you experience in this season? Um, and like sort of what are, what is your um, like adaptability and, and willingness to try new things? Um, so yeah, and, and I'm sure you even have a good experience with like the elimination diet. Um, and sort of go navigating that of, you know, what works and what doesn't can change so much from person to person. Yes. Oh my God. You're preaching to the choir. Like yeah. <laughs> every single person that I have worked with is so unique mm -hmm. and everybody has their own unique triggers. That's like the thing that I'm trying to drive into everybody that has, I see, um, you're most likely not going to be sensitive to everything on that. I see diet list, but right the only way to find out is through an elimination diet. So, right. Right. I and mean, it's really interesting when we talk about even like the gut microbiome, right? Because like take something like meat, you know, some people might argue, like if you have high estrogen, you should limit your meat intake. And, you know, I personally, I'm vegan, but that really works for me. But I, I am very hesitant to tell my, my patients or my clients, like you should also go plant-based or you should also be vegan because I know for some people, depending on their microbiome, meat is, is very important and very necessary for them in, in, in their process of feeling like they've gotten all of their nutrients and feeling healthy and feeling fully functional, you know, and, and there's a lot of mixed research too. So, you know, cause I, you know, for a lot of what I've seen, uh, um, and read, I think that's one of the, the bigger sort of like suggestions of like, oh, your estrogen's too high, reduce, like, you know, don't take in any extra estrogen and, you know, via, you know, meat. So like I said, it, it's so, it, it has a lot more, and this is why I think, you know, the medical community is, is moving a lot more towards the holistic end of things because it's, it's, you know, we can't just be telling everyone like, this is the answer. This is the quick fix. Like we need to have a conversation. And part of that is what do you want? Like, if I said to someone like your estrogen's too high, stop eating meat, stop eating dairy, only eat this, but someone's receiving that and going, well, I don't really want to do that. Right. You know, how is that? And then again, like with the work that I do, like, does that bring up an emotion that now all of a sudden you're doing what I'm telling you to do, but your stress is through the roof and you're feeling some level of sadness or whatever. And then there's even like the, the emotional piece of eating, like we eat to soothe sometimes. So there's, there's so many, yes. so many layers. <laughs> and the IC community as a whole is just terrified to eat. And yeah. that, like that food fear causes yeah. additional stress, causes additional symptoms. And it's just like this crazy ch chain reaction. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think the issue that I have with some practitioners, whether they be in the just regular world or the IC world is when they tell every single person to follow this diet, like, right. or, um, to follow, like, I've seen people in the IC world say everybody should be avoiding 
all high oxalate foods. And I'm just like, no, A, everybody's different. B, you're creating more food fear for people who aren't doing that. And it's, it's just so mental and just putting every single person with this condition into one boat. It's not appropriate. In my opinion, I think it just, there's no one size fits all approach for this condition or a lot of other conditions. And like, there's people out there that are like, oh, you should drink celery juice every morning. And I'm just like, that's just, uh, there's so many things that are wrong with that statement. And I just, yeah, I don't want to take up too much time talking about this. But no, but like, I totally agree. And like, I think, I think, oh my gosh, like if there's any boat we should all be in, it's the like, learn your body boat, because that's, that's the only, the only thing that we really truly have. And it's like, I don't think enough medical doctors, you know, MDs are, are, are pushing that and are, are encouraging that and are saying like, okay, because, because it's a slow process. It's like a, a slow, a, a long, slow, dedicated process. Like you need to be willing to sit with yourself and, and, and track and, and notice what's coming up and, and make changes slowly. And so again, like this is the, the core of my work. Like I, I really want women to, to know the power that comes with learning your unique language the language of your body and then learn to love it and then learn to listen to it and it's just it's layered and so Mm -hmm. like you said for all this is across the board you know it's not just IC and and I think the IC community definitely um has like a special seat though you know I I like you said like there is so much uh in that community of like with the food fear with the with flare-ups and and there's 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 so much and I think the best thing to do is to really give that pain a voice and and listen to what it's trying to teach you um, about your body because all our uh, of our symptoms are trying to get us to understand that something is out of balance in the body you know like i said we operate on on feedback and balance and so when something is out of balance and the internal feedback loop can't fix it there's a symptom and you know that's your body like hey hello i need your help we need to do something about this and you know the traditional sort of like take a medication to stop this like to mask the symptom isn't fixing the root cause it's just making the symptom manageable you know what i mean yeah. It's like slapping a bandaid on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting when, you know, you were saying to learn or listen to your body and, and learn what it wants to, to eat or to be nourished with yeah. like that sounds easy, but it's, it's really, it's the hard work. And I think a lot of people just skip over that and go right to a medication or a supplement or procedure. And that is, I think, I think is normal, a normal response to being human. And that's something that I did when I was diagnosed, I, they told me, you know, do these diet changes and go to pelvic floor PT. I was like, heck no, I'm not doing that. Like that's no, I'm not changing my diet. And so I went for the meds. I went for the painful, uh, treatments like Botox in my pelvic floor. I got the installations. I had a surgery. Like it, it just, it was all so backwards that once I hit rock bottom in, in trying all those things and nothing was helping, 
I started to look at my diet. I started to manage my stress. I started going to therapy and just doing things that, you know, connected me more with my body. And that's when I started to see improvement in my symptoms. So I think it's important to point out that, you know, whichever avenue you take is fine. I feel like if you start working on these things now, then yes, you will most likely save some time. But even if you don't, and you end up back at it, maybe years later, that's fine too. I don't think there should be any, you know, level of guilt or anything like that. I think it's absolutely normal. Absolutely. And like, again, like a big part of my work is processing this emotional piece because there, like you said, like there is no shame in just owning where you're at in your journey. And like, if you can say with clarity, like at this point, like that's the other thing, like if, if someone is having so like a ton of pain and like they get prescribed, let's say birth control or, or whatever medication, like that can be incredibly helpful and life-changing, you know, and that I I really want to validate that for a moment because, you know, there is no shame in saying, this is what I want for my life right now. And this is the choice I'm making. And this is the, and, and all of this like emotional work, a lot of times is to get to the point of, this is my truth. Uh, you know, this is my reality and this is the consequence. And there is no shame in any of that. I I can see it clearly and therefore I accept it. And so, you know, if it's like, this is my reality, I'm, I'm, my truth is I'm in school and I want to be able to, to get my, my degree and I want to be able to do this all pain-free. I'm taking a medication there and the consequences of that are X, Y, and Z. That's fine. You know, accept it, allow that peace to sit in your body. And then like, you know, like how you said, if you get to a place where you're like, this isn't for me anymore, you are, give yourself the grace to say like, no, thank you. I am deciding to switch and course correct. And now my truth is that I want to learn the language of my body. I have the time to do this. Or even if I don't have the time to do this, I'm committing to this regardless, you know, and, and this is the reality I'm creating. And these are the consequences. And in which case, like the consequence, the consequences are different. There's still a consequence. I think in the coaching community, sometimes we have this tendency to make everything sound so like, like perfect. And like, if you do the work, like life is great. And it's like, no, like getting to know your body, like is hard. There's a lot of trial and error. There is discomfort in the process, but you have to learn to love the process and stay committed to, you know, the truth and the reality that, that you want. And, and that's why, like, I really, I really felt that the emotional energetic component of this work was absolutely necessary for almost all pelvic patients or clients, because when it comes to the pelvic floor and the pelvis, there is so, there's so much emotional energetic charge and we deserve to honor that just as much as the physical symptoms. Yes. Oh my gosh. I feel like this is such a powerful conversation that so many people need to hear (laughs) including myself, like I used to feel guilt or shame because I went for, you know, the more like the the medications and, you know, everything I explained earlier. And, you know, that's because I trusted that my doctors, you know, knew what was best for me. And, you know, the doctors are just trying to help you, but they're not, they're not gonna, you know, say the things that you're saying because they don't have time usually. And, you know, they're trained in a more, you know, medical 
method, I guess you could say. Yeah. So, you know, it took me a while to come to terms with the process of me getting to where I am today. And, you know, yeah, it kind of sucked along the way, but, you know, it, it helped me to, you know, realize how important diet is and helping people, um, you know, just make those changes, start feeling better. And, you know, it led me to starting this podcast. So, and that's yeah, already that helping beautiful. so many people. <laughs> yeah. And that's beautiful. And like I, that, what you just described is, is such an important part of the process that I think a lot of people tend to, I, it's not that we neglect it. I just think we don't think about it sometimes. Like the, the idea that what I thought was a good idea, what, and again, like what I came to peace with, what I was confident in, still in a way caused me trauma you mm -hmm. know and that can be true for anything right and and both like I, I'm I say this all the time like two things are allowed to be true at the same time you know it can be true that that was the best decision for you at the time and it can also be true that that experience was traumatic you know and and it's important to to give that the space that it deserves to be processed and to be seen and to be released because all of the emotion that we experience and all of our you know the the beliefs that we carry about certain experiences they stay in our body and you know unless unless we are intentional about letting that move through our body and be released from our system so we're not really carrying it because our, our you know our muscles carry tension our fascia our connective tissue carries tension our our operating systems will be dysfunctional if they're carrying tension or stress, you know? So it's important to, to create space for that process. And, and like I said, like we don't think about it sometimes. I have a really almost like funny example. Like I, I haven't talked about this with anyone except my husband, but I think it really fits. I, um, I went to get a cavity filled a couple weeks ago and you know, it, this is an example of something that needed to be done. I wanted the cavity filled. I knew I had to do this. And I was, I was like, yes, I'm happy to do this. No, uh, no red flags anywhere. So I go to get the cavity filled and the entire time, like, you know, the dentist didn't explain anything to me the entire time she was talking with the, with her assistant about like, like random stuff. Like they're talking about how many TVs they have in their homes. And like, like very, like, it felt like no one was paying attention to me. You know, it was painful during the process. And I said like, this hurts. And she was like, it's okay. A little pain's fine. And, you know, it, it was just a very uncomfortable experience the entire time. And as soon as I got in the car and called my husband, I was like, I need to be seen and that I'm really upset and how this went. And I bawled, like I never would have expected, but I had to cry and I had to allow that sort of like sadness and, you know, almost grief of how I wanted the experience to go and how it didn't actually go, let that pass through. And for a minute, I was like shaming myself because I was like, you're crying about a cavity being filled. And then I was like, no, like I am crying about a cavity being filled because my body did not appreciate how it went. And I'm sad about it, you know? Wow. Yeah. And, oh, and I, yeah, I felt so much better after and it. And I'm, yeah, really happy that I knew to do that and was willing to do that and had the support to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. I am positive that most, the majority of these listeners are, can, can relate to this, yeah. especially going into any sort of IC doctor, like a urologist, urogynecologist, pelvic floor PT, dietitian, and not having that visit meet your expectations or feel like you're not being heard and leaving that and just feeling this grief 
And it's important to, you know, let that out or even just, just tell somebody about it or journal about it. Just, just yeah. let it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing here is for, cause women, especially like we are told, I don't know how many times since we start puberty about any symptom, like, like this is all in your head or this can't be true for you. Or, you know, you're too young to experience that or, or the classic, like have a glass of wine. Like, you know, it, it, and all of these things are so invalidating. And, and after hearing it so many times, especially if you're struggling um, with just finding out about a diagnosis or you're just learning about a diagnosis. Um, and so the, the biggest thing that we have to constantly encourage each other in is that like you deserve the quality of care that you intuitively believe you deserve. Because mm -hmm. I think all of us have this deep inner like expectation of like, my voice is going to be heard and like, and or maybe in the beginning, I feel, I feel like some people get hardened to it, but in the yeah. beginning, I feel like a lot of us know this intuitively of, I deserve to be heard. I deserve to have my questions answered. I deserve to have a clear understanding of what's going on. And all of these things are so true. And every time a provider doesn't validate those things and doesn't meet your expectations, yes, process it, but know that it is not your fault. And there is someone out there that will validate those things. You are not crazy and you are not wrong for wanting those answers. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're not being heard by your doctor, don't go back to them. And yeah. <laughs> try to find somebody that actually listens to you. And I feel like the majority of us have to experience one, two, three, whatever number it is, you know, doctors or practitioners that aren't listening to them until they find that one person that they really vibe with that is hearing them. And I feel like there's a, I don't know how to describe that feeling. I guess it's, it's a validating feeling. You don't, feel crazy anymore it it just it's kind of like a high when you, yeah. when you feel that you know yeah you're like finally I'm I'm being seen it's like you know to to feel like you've just not been seen like there's been this veil over you the entire time and I, I think it's very liberating to feel like you're being seen clearly you know and and everybody everybody deserves that um yeah I I I'm yeah I'm such a big proponent of it because I know that so many people don't and and I think a big part of this is the language you know one of the tools I try to give women is sort of like the languaging to speak to doctors and one, one of my favorite ones is like you know if you say something and someone invalidates it to say like or especially if you want something a test done or you want something looked in further of like okay you know I see that you're not willing to entertain this you know thing that I brought up please make a note in my chart that you refuse to look into this Mm -hmm. you know, and, and like, you're allowed to say that to a doctor, you're allowed to say you, you're basically holding them accountable. And so having the languaging to that you get to go in with prepared of like, you know, please look into this or, you know, whatever it is, or, or these are the exact hormones that I want tested or are like, I want a panel run on. It's very empowering. So I, I think language is, um, is sort of another thing that we get to explore when we, as at least in my sessions with people of, of how can we navigate your next doctor's visit or you know? Yeah. I love that. And, um, the episode one of this podcast, I had just, just Talbert on, she's a chronic illness mindset coach, and she said very similar things. So mm -hmm. it's great that there are people out there that are, are helping yeah. people in the chronic illness community, just advocate for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent because it, yeah. In Western medicine, I feel like there isn't a ton of, um, I don't want to say there isn't advocacy for the patient because I don't think that that's true, but 
I think self-advocacy is is so so deeply important and and that comes from a, from a, a place of feeling empowered in yourself and and what you deserve and and yeah yeah that that's why I, I like my work as an embodiment coach I feel is so so necessary to the rest of this work you know mm-hmm. yeah so quick switch of gears here I know you wanted to talk a little bit about cyclical living Oh, Can you dive into that. Yeah, absolutely. Very yes. interested. Yeah. So kind of like um, how we were talking about before, I kind of, and I feel like it was brief and it was kind of quick and you may, yeah. like, I don't know, I feel like listeners may have to go back and just listen to that part again of the, uh-huh. the hormones and the inner seasons, but basically your inner seasons, the, those are the energetic phases, the four phases, the inner spring, summer, winter, um, no, <laughs> summer, fall, winter. <laughs> Um, But those four seasons are the seasons that you can expect to happen within you as your hormones shift and and change. And cyclical living is basically just saying that I understand that this is going to happen. I embrace these changes and I will, you know, sort of model my life around these changes so that I can leverage my cyclical nature to serve me best. And what's, what's important to note here is that our society, be it, you know, a patriarchal society is based on the testosterone cycle, which is a single day cycle. Testosterone is high in the morning and low at night. So this is why, you know, we all live in this model of like, we all wake up every single day, we go to work, we eat dinner at night, by the end of the day, we wind down, we go to bed and we sleep and then we start again. You know, people who menstruate, operate on a 28 to 35 day cycle. We operate on the moon cycle. Um, So, you know, we have a phase of time where our, our hormones are rising and we're reaching that sort of peak. And then in the second half of that, our hormones are um, decreasing and we're reaching, you know, like an energetic low. And so for women, it's important to notice that different tasks will happen uh, more easily and more fluidly if they're done at different parts in the cycle. So for instance, I am at day six. So I just finished my bleed and I am in my inner spring. So bleed was inner winter. Now I'm off of that and I am just starting my inner spring. So I even noticed today because I track and I've been paying attention for a while. I notice a shift in energy of like, I'm almost like turning to my work a little bit differently. Like I am more excited about getting to work or starting to work or, you know, I'm not dreading sitting at my laptop, right? I can expect within the next week that my energy will continue to rise. And in this phase, I will strategically spend more time creating content, you know, um, like being a guest on podcasts, like this was perfectly timed for me. Um, You know, doing meal prepping, doing all the things that require a lot of energy um, and that I'm, you know, willing to put energy toward. So inner spring, energy rising, increased productivity. Then when I'm around the time of ovulation, that's why this is, like I said, ovulation is a moment in time, but energetically a few days before and a few days after that moment in time is a phase. And this feels like inner summer. This feels um, very much so like a peak. So in this time I will be, and anyone experiencing this will feel very willing to socialize and very willing to, you know, spend time and go out and, and be hanging out with friends again, like the go have sex sort of mentality. Um, so if you're kind of 
planning your life around this, you know, that's, that's just something to keep in mind, right? This would be a good time to plan your social events. Then you move into that energetic fall, that luteal phase, that sort of decline. And this is a time to be more reflective, more inward, um, things start to slow down. And so in this phase, you can expect that like, it may feel more frustrating to spend an eight hour day at your computer. It may feel like you don't have the energy to deal with like really tedious conversation. And this phase in our cycle gets a really bad rep because it is the, the couple weeks before we bleed and that's everyone's like, I'm PMSing, I'm, I have, I'm having all these mood swings, I'm rude, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And the reality is that the, and each of these phases, um, we could go so deep, <laughs> but mm -hmm. each of these phases has an associated archetype. Um, and so an archetype is just something, um, almost like a model that you can look at to kind of gain inspiration from. You don't have to be the archetype, it's just, um, an association. And so the archetype for that phase is the wild woman. And the wild woman is fierce and she is unapologetic and she is shameless in her expression. So, you know, in the work that I do, like there's a, a real moment that I have with people of like, what if we didn't call that like, you know, your mood swing time, but that was like your fierce time. Oh and my gosh. Know, wait, my boyfriend know. calls it my, my, my rage monster. Yeah. <laughs> What about like rage goddess, right? Like yes. what, what is our languaging around this? What are <laughs> yeah. we embodying? Because if you go into that phase, like, oh, I'm going to be a whatever. And it's negative. Like you internalize that. But if we go into this, like I am a rage goddess and I am, <laughs> I love this time. And I am, I am willing to tell you the truth. Like th that's a really big characteristic of the wild woman of like, I'm going to tell you what's true and I'm not going to shade it with any beautiful color, you know? And like, you think yeah. of fall, like the leaves are no longer these bright colors. They lose their color and they're, you know, they're all just their base underneath what's left underneath without the color, the true form. Right. So yeah, that's that phase. And so again, cyclical living means like in this phase, I am planning for this. I know that this is coming and I am, I embrace it. I love it. And I plan for it with excitement, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the last part, the inner winter is your bleed. And at this part, it's really, and I'm such a huge proponent. I know it's not possible for so many people, but if you can plan your life around your bleed to be able to rest on those days, at least the first two days, I usually tell people it will change so much for, it changed my cycle in my life entirely. Just being able to to relax on those days and to tune in and to, to really give yourself the space to, to, to come into community almost, like to commune with your womb and say like, I see you. I see that you're, you are contracting and releasing blood and I am present for that. I am present for this shedding. Then energetically, it's like, what else can you intentionally shed during this time of the month? You know, this, this phase energetically is associated with wisdom and the archetype here is the crone, um, which is like the elder. So if you take time to really be present and to let any wisdom come through, it's a really potent time to, um, to integrate really. And, um, and what's the one thing I really do want to know is that are the bleed that you experience, like the, the cycle, the cycle that you experience, like, let's say this month has influence from the past three months so the stress levels of the past three months the the way you experienced your last three bleeds will influence the way you experience this current one wow 
Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So sometimes if someone's like, I had a really bad cycle out of nowhere, you know, I'll say like, okay, like, let's look back. What have the past three months looked like? What, what was going on in life? What can we kind of learn from it? But, but yeah, cyclical living is really kind of like putting your womb first and recognizing like, no, I don't operate on the male sun testosterone cycle. I operate on a different cycle and that cycle's beautiful. And that cycle is powerful. And I like get to you know, embrace all these versions of myself without shame. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. It it sounds like cyclical living can really improve most aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. So mentally, physically, emotionally, it could help improve your relationships, improve your productivity, just whether that be with work or whatever your hobby is, anything like that. Absolutely. And like, like you said, even just in that quick thing, like working out, like there are different types of exercises to do at different phases to match the energetic, like output that your body's willing to meet that day, you know? Yeah. It, it makes so me much. think of like the days when I wake up and I don't feel like working out. It's like, mm-hmm. that's probably, you know, in one of those phases that you just said, um, I, it, it sounds like something that I should start doing. Um, yeah. I feel like I just need to wait until a time where I am mentally ready to tackle that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I think like, and that can look like whatever you want it to, you know, like does that, like what baby step can you take? Even if it looks like journaling of like today, I feel like, let's say you give yourself a zero to 10 mood scale every day. And every night before bed, you just circle one. And then at the end of the month, see if you notice any trend, you know, like it can be as simple or, or complex as you want it to be, you know? Mm-hmm. I love tracking things and yeah. identifying mm-hmm. patterns and trends. And yeah. I just think it's so cool to do. Um, if only there was like one journal or tracker that had everything you could possibly yeah. need in it. I, yeah. that's like impossible. Cause it would be so big and so long. <laughs> 10 pages per day. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that was super informative and educational. Um, is there anything else that, you know, you wanted to talk about or, you know, any piece of advice for the, the IC listeners? Yeah. I mean, I would just say, you know, your pelvic health is so layered and so multifaceted and, you know, the, the mission of what I do is, is to help women really embrace and integrate the reality that, you know, we have a physical body, an emotional body, and an energetic body. And all of those are, are working together constantly to create the reality that we experience. And so, you know, whether you tackle one at a time or all at once, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter, but what does matter is recognizing that they do exist and that there is something we can do at every level to create the healing that you desire and ultimately craft the reality that, that you want. And, and there are practitioners, you know, myself included, Callie and, and a bunch of others, um, you know, there are practitioners that want to help you in, in this holistic way and you deserve it. So yeah, of course. Y'all deserve it. Um, so how can people find you slash are you taking new clients right now? Yeah, I am. I actually just started offering a new service that is um, the most in- integrative that I can, which I really, really love. I have um, my 
just my regular PT sessions, which are very diagnosis based and physical based, physical body based. Then I have on the other end of the spectrum, just coaching, which is very emotional you know, based. Um, and now I just started offering kind of like a meet in the middle, what's called a pelvic empowerment session. And this session is really focused on teaching clients how to use their own hands. Everything's virtual. So it would be me instructing you how to use your hands to self-massage, self-assess, and really, again, like learn the language of your body while creating a really safe container to explore any energetic, emotional, or like physical sensations that come up in, in process. So that's what I've been, you know, sort of pushing um, for most recently. Um, and yeah, I, I'm absolutely taking new clients. I'm, I'm on Instagram. So if anyone wanted to connect and sort of like start a, just a, a DM conversation or something, it's dr.liliana.dpt. Um, and then other than that, I have a website. My husband and I have a wellness practice. He does men's health. I do women's health. And um, that's our, our practice is called Sacred Space Health and Wellness Services. And our website is allspaceissacred.com. Awesome. Are you guys practicing like in a physical location or is that virtual too? Yeah, so it's virtual and in home. So we're in South Jersey. So anyone kind of like within a 55 minute uh, driving radius. We can do things in home. He does massage as well and um, like movement sessions or, or wellness sessions, things like that. So he will go in home. And then I go in home for a lot of the PT stuff, especially like pregnancy, prenatal postpartum. Um, but I am really enjoying the virtual space and moving more in that direction. So like I said, like these pelvic empowerment sessions are, I'm so excited to do more and more of them because it feels like the core of where the healing happens. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and just giving an hour of your time. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I'm really, really grateful and thankful that you see value in what I do and that you hosted me. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm so, so happy we could do this today. Absolutely. All right. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dr. Liliana. She is such an intelligent physical therapist. And I also love that she is practicing in a non-traditional setting. So it's really cool to see that she's out there, you know, helping so many people in a non-traditional way. So I also wanted to tell you all that I've opened enrollment for my Road to Remission program. The program combines an elimination diet, an education course, and a private support community to help you minimize your symptoms and start living the life you want in just three months. If you want to see if you'd be a good fit for the Road to Remission program, you can schedule a free discovery call with me by clicking the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to make sure you're subscribed and following along. If you enjoyed this episode specifically, please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell me exactly what you enjoyed about the episode. For more content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Kali K Nutrition.